What's going on, listeners? It's your co-host, Ridge, here with Just Goes to Show. Yep, Chess is here as well as always. We're back uh, recapping another week of Premier League action and previewing this weekend. A little later in the week, uh, we had to adapt around Valentine's Day. Um, you know, Jack's busy with his plans, but uh, it, was a, it was an exciting week of footy as always. Premier League is rocking and rolling probably better than it ever has been, so a lot to talk about. Yep. Uh, Chris and I, I, I'll say this because I, I think the probability she list, listens, there's like sub 10%. Had plans to record earlier in the week, found out it was Valentine's <laughs> Day, had to had to pivot on that. Um, and it was, it was frowned upon that uh, I had made plans to record on Valentine's Day. How could I? So we're back. Um, we're back with another episode and uh, a little bit of what we're going to cover this week. We have fingers crossed what we hope will be a shorter pod. <laughs> no. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it never is. Um, but we're going to start, we're going to talk a little bit. I mean, the big game of the, the Premier League weekend was the Manchester City Arsenal match. Which was um, during the and, week, but that's kind of which was during the week. of us recording today rather than earlier in the week. Yeah, I love that. I was just going to say, was it Monday? No, it was literally yesterday. Um, and that has massive title implications. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, just talk about Manchester City and, and Arsenal a little bit for how they look through the rest of the season. There's a lot of chatter about those two teams. We're going to talk a little bit more about the rest of the Prem, um, uh, some of the things going on at large in Europe. And then we're going to look at some forms since the World Cup. We got some data for you for y'all um, about teams and how they're performing since the World Cup. Then we'll pop into Fantasy Corner, a little drive-by there. Um, and then, Chiss, you're throwing trivia my way this week. Yep. And, uh, and of course, we'll wrap up with our predictor picks so people can go win free money. So, um, Chris, let's, let's kick it off with um, top of the table, first and second team in the league, Arsenal against Manchester City. Um, you said you had a chance to watch. What were your what were your takeaways just watching the game live? Yeah, three um, one Man City at the Emirates, and it was a really really good first half. I thought uh, Arsenal hung in the game very well, and I I really thought they had more control of the match early on than Man City did uh, until the Tomiyasu mistake, which was a huge one. It was interesting that he played over mm-hmm. Ben White. We can get into that as well. Some of the team selection, but. De Bruyne capitalized. He's been struggling a little bit for form. He, he came back in a big way yesterday in a, in a huge match for them. Um, and then we had Saka bouncing right back with that penalty before the half. It was maybe a little controversial, that call. Um, but ultimately, City pulled away. Uh, Grealish and Holland at the end. And I think they deserved the win. They played well. It, it was an impressive performance from them, especially away. Uh, but Arsenal are, are starting to struggle a little bit for form. Um, three matches now without a win. And this one, they, they might have been able to sneak something out of this, but I think the result was probably the fair one at the end of the day. Yeah, I think on the team selection piece, you know, he went with Tomiyasu over Ben White, uh, Arteta did. Um, and then a lot of people were thinking that he was going to go Trussard instead of Martinelli. So I just thought, I don't know, I just didn't love playing Tomiyasu um, over Ben White. And then, of course, he makes that awful mistake. Um, I think if you make a... I mean, Arteta's played virtually the same starting 11 every game this season, right? So this team, he was forced to make one change with Jorginho in for the the injured party. Um, and then he made another change with Ben White coming in a right back or coming out of right back for Tomiyasu. And I think if I make a, two changes in that 11 that he's kept, again, the same almost all season, I would have done Trossard um, instead of Martinelli um, just because of 
Trossard's getting 30 minutes every game um, and and has looked really lively in the past past few matches uh, as opposed to the Ben White substitution. But, you know, I have the benefit of hindsight being on my side. Um, and, and ultimately, I don't think Tomiyasu was really that bad other than a crucial error, but that's enough, right? Um, it was it was a really, really yeah. bad back pass, um, careless, and, and De Bruyne capitalized. And it was a great finish by De Bruyne. It wasn't like a, an easy tap in. You know, he had to, it was a one touch and it barely curled in uh, into the net there. But that was a big talking point, obviously. I think the Thomas Party um, absence was probably even a bigger deal. He's been a really, really important player for them. They've been very solid with that midfield. Um, Xhaka, Party, Odegaard, those three kind of in the middle of the pitch there have been as good as it gets. So I don't think it's a serious injury. It's a muscle injury, but that, that was a big loss for them. Jorginho, obviously very new to the club. I think he's a a talented player, very classy, but very different than Party. Not nearly as physically imposing. And they probably could have used that a little bit against some of the city players that are so technically gifted. You have Jaka and Party coming in in the midfield. That's a little bit intimidating. A lot of energy there. Jorginho is a very different player. So I didn't think you had. A, I didn't think either of those guys necessarily had a poor match, but I don't think that either of them are necessarily in Arsenal's best eleven. Uh, and I do think Trossard probably starts this weekend. It's been on the cards. He's been coming on for Martinelli around like the 60th minute every match the last few weeks. And he's brought a lot of energy onto the pitch. He was great for Brighton before his falling out with uh, Deserby. So it'll be interesting. But Arsenal right now are in danger of, of sliding. Um, live league table right now. City are technically top of the table on the goal differential. Arsenal do have a game in hand. But... Uh, three straight matches with no uh, with one point, and that's against Everton, Brentford, and then City. And and all of a sudden, Arsenal are looking a lot more vulnerable than they were um, a month ago. And City, um, they got a lot of momentum. They're, they're back to scoring goals. That's They've scored at least three goals in four of their last five Premier League matches now. And it's not all been Holland, right? Mares has been in great form. We just saw De Bruyne. Um, getting involved. Grealish got a goal over the weekend. So it's not just Holland. He's he's still making an impact, but um, they're starting to, to get a little bit more contributions from all of those attackers. Yeah, it's a good call out. Um, you know, you wonder if Grealish can really kick on and, and be the player that they hoped he would be when they signed him. I think when I was watching this game, it was, you know, the, any Liverpool fans listening, it just reminded me of the Liverpool City fixture you know, two seasons ago. Like I used to watch that Liverpool City fixture and you watch like Liverpool or City break the press even at like the halfway line or or even, you know, in their own half. And every player is almost man for man and the, the attack the team press is so complete where when they break a press in the middle of the middle of the field, it instantly results in an, you know, an odd man counter or an odd man attack uh, where, you know, where you have the advantage. And I sort of felt that like every time a team had possession a little bit and they were able to find a way to break the press, even if it was in their own half, like as a viewer, I found myself on the edge of my seat. And that's when you feel like, I, I think that's like a good, like, what, what is the expression? Like litmus test Yeah. Um, for, uh, for when a game is really good is when I like find myself holding my breath or on the edge of my seat when the ball is in the middle of the field. Right. Definitely. Um, there was a ton of energy in this game. And like that's what, you know, what, what I wanted to make the point that I don't think Arsenal was outmatched in this at all. Right. I think that they, they showed up to play. Um, eventually, City broke them down and, and got two goals towards the end of the match and put them away. But Arsenal could have gotten something out of this. 
Um, it, it's also really interesting what Pep's been doing the last couple of matches. Bernardo Silva has kind of filled the, I guess, Rico Lewis type role um, mm-hmm. that is sort of a left back, but not really. And you had Bernardo Silva matched up uh, with, the, with the job of uh, marking Saka. And he was not really comfortable with that. You can kind of tell. I think he fouled Saka like four times in the first half. He ended up picking yeah. up a yellow right before the half. And he was a little bit out of place defensively, but he's such a smart player that I think Pep has a lot of trust in him. And it ultimately worked out for them. Um, but I don't really know what they're going to be doing long-term defensively. They're just rotating guys all over the place. I, I feel like Pep kind of gets off to playing players out of position just because he like he's like, look what I can do. It doesn't even matter where I put these guys. We're going to get results. Uh, it's, wow, it, it, that's a take. I mean, do you disagree? That Pep is aroused by playing players out of position. I think he was that, rock hard uh, watching Bernardo Silva <laughs> foul Saka over and over again that first half. Yeah, I mean, it is it it is a really gutsy move. I, Bernardo Silva is like I feel like the only player he could get away with doing that with, right? Uh, in the team, he's disciplined. You know? Um, so but he's so small and he's not a defender, and you're going up against one of the right. most informed players in the league. In Saka, who's just got blistering pace, crazy acceleration, and I mean Saka did score, albeit from a penalty, but he, you know, he looked good as he always does. He's playing out of his mind right now, uh, but that was a bold right. move by Pep. It, it, he's just been kind of, I don't know. Their formation is so interesting because it changes, and all clubs are doing this now, um, where they basically just play a totally different formation in possession versus out of possession. But Pep like really gets aggressive with it. When they have the ball, he just does not care about their defensive shape that much. Like he loves getting guys up the pitch. And so when you have Bernardo Silva kind of occupying that space and you think you're going to have a lot of possession, gives you a big advantage. Um, but it, it makes you really success, susceptible to the counterattack. And that's something that Arsenal likes to do. So I think it was a risky decision. It ultimately worked out for them. I'm going to be curious to see what they do going forward now that Cancelo's gone. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk going into this match, too, whether it was a mistake that they sold Zinchenko because he could have easily filled in that role. And he's been really good for Arsenal this year. I, I kind of think it was a mistake. Um, but Pep's basically saying, whatever, I'll just throw Bernardo Silva back there and we'll win 3-1. So it's it's kind of crazy, but he has the the pedigree at this point to make some bold moves, and typically they do pay off. Yeah, and it's and obviously it's all as a result of Holland, right? So City go, they they play you know three defenders and then a, a Rico Lewis slash Bernardo Silva who then tucks in as an inverted wing back so and they they become a a 3-2-4-1 in possession um and you know that it ultimately that formation and that attacking formation is all set up to get the ball to, to Holland's feet right so um yeah it's it's made city you know, a lot more, I think I was, I was watching an interview where I think Terry Henry was saying it's made City a little bit more predictable this season. I actually agree with that take, right? Like they're all always trying to get the ball to the same place. Whereas before, you know, they'd have goals from outside the box. They'd sort of attack from different creative angles because they didn't have that number nine. Um, but well, and that's what I was saying. I think, that's what we're seeing a little bit where they have been scoring goals. Um, you know, right. these last, like I said, four out of the last five matches, <laughs> they've gotten three plus goals. And they haven't been coming from Holland. The match prior, Rodri scored, Gundogan scored, Mara scored. Um, you know, this match, only one of those goals came from Holland. Uh, against Wolves, they had, let's see, it was, uh, that was a Holland hat trick. So that kind of 
prove yeah. me wrong a little bit. I mean, obviously he's still going to get his, <laughs> but they are getting contributions to other players. Grealish has been in great form. Mars has been in great form. And that's kind of what they needed. They have that lull um, for a bit coming out of the World Cup, and it, it seems like so they brushed who, that off. Who do you think, uh, picking it the title today, who do you think wins the title, City or Arsenal? I mean, I think it's a little bit unfair to not consider United in that discussion as well. They're, okay, fair, they're, I guess. They're five I'll, points, yeah, I'll open they're, it up to third parties. I mean, they're five points back. They've been in really good form. Rashford's playing out of his mind. Ten Hag has finally gotten, you know, he's, he's gotten a, about 23 matches now in the Premier League this season. So he's gotten some time under his belt. Um, they've had some issues with Casemiro uh, being suspended here a lot as of late. Uh, but that Sancho's back now. He's contributing. So I, I think that they're a, a sneaky dark horse. But at this point, I, I can't really pick against City. kind of sucks. Um, there's always that inevitability that you feel like, all right, well, eventually City's going to turn it on and they have the best squad and their manager is one of the best in the world. I, I can't really pick against them when they're level on points. Um, Arsenal have that game in hand. But even a three-point deficit after what I just saw yesterday, I'd have to lean City. What about you? Yeah, it's it's City. I'm, I'm sorry. The the only advantage, the only thing that can be an advantage for Arsenal is if City find themselves in the final of the Champions League. Yeah. Um, if City are, are in the final of the FA Cup, the final of the Champions League, and going, you know, tit for tat with three games left and Arsenal is, you know, three points back, like I can easily see City slipping up because everyone knows how difficult it is to win, you know, uh, win the Champions League and your domestic league in the same season. So, um, because there's massive cup final after cup final. So I think that if you're Arsenal, like if you're Arteta, that's sort of what you're you're thinking. Even if we fall a couple points behind, um, we don't have to worry about Champions League like City do. And so that's where I think like if Arsenal were going to do it, it's got to be this season because it won't be next season or the following season. Um, or uh, you know, maybe not the following season. But I don't, it, it, I don't think. Totally I don't think. Their I don't, squad's so young, but yeah. But I think. I think that you're not gonna. You're like Saka's not gonna play 65 games and do what he's. You know, do what he's been doing. I just don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, here's so the, here's the other thing though with where Arsenal have an opportunity. So the next month and a half is gonna be crucial. Here's their upcoming set of fixtures: Villa, Leicester, Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham, Palace, Leeds. Those are their next seven matches. So they're, they're playing one team in the top half of the table right now, Fulham. And the other six are, you got a match against Everton at home, against Bournemouth at home. Villa and Leicester are a little bit Jekyll and Hyde um, week to week right now. But they have an opportunity to find their form again. And if they can win six out of those seven matches, they're not they're not going anywhere. But right now they got to stop this, this bump in the road that they've hit um because the last few weeks it's not only that they haven't gotten results they've looked a lot less dangerous so it's got to be now or never for them like this is a, a stretch where they need to be winning pretty much every match they play in order to stay in the race i think yeah agreed agreed so we'll see i think we, so we both we're both leaning city but um we both perhaps in a month we'll be able to commit to the pod either way um commit to our our listeners who we actually think is going to win um 
there's there's also been we talked a little bit last week around the financial fair play investigation around Manchester City that sort of spiraled like into not spiral but like the tailwind of that is the discussion around should Man City's titles count is Pep Guardiola even a good manager because he's just managed Barcelona you know Bayern and and City um, and I, I we were we've had some chatter about this in our in our group chat Chris but. Um, I think anybody who's like trying to denounce titles or take, you know, uh, take titles away from city. I think it's just absurd. I think it's just a little bit, um, you know, unrealistic and silly. It's it because I think every team and, and, uh, you know, longtime listener, Nick Harmon guest previous guest on the pod made this point. Like every team is more or less, you know, laundering money into the club, right? Like every owner is absurdly rich and finds different, accounting and you know economic levers to pump money into their team manchester city perhaps was doing it you know you know 10 12 13 years ago and maybe a little bit looser than they should have but let's like you know let's not pretend that they have like some superior financial clout to other teams and um so i i I thought that was just worth pointing out given our discussion last week i know we both said we think it's going to end in a fine and i do think it will but i i think anybody who's like you know, rearranging Premier League tables, being like City didn't win, we want the title that season. Like, you know, That's you're probably lame. not listening to this podcast because so yeah, because we don't we don't think we don't think like you. Well, and so I mean, Pep basically said <laughs> it's kind of funny. He's basically saying like, hey, if you guys want to come at us for this, you're setting a dangerous precedent. Like talking to the other clubs because he knows that every other club is doing sketchy stuff too, and it might not be at the scale that Man City is. I mean, they're spending like. I think they spent like what three four hundred million pounds on defenders over the course of like twelve months. Like, they they spend outrageous amounts of money, but he's right. He's like if you if you're looking at us and you want to come at us and, and make all these accusations and fine us or deduct points or whatever, like well you better have your your shit together because everyone's doing this right. And so he's kind of mm-hmm. he's kind of saying like we're we're the scapegoat here but this is happening everywhere and we shouldn't be the only one singled out for breaking rules because other clubs are i mean we've talked endlessly about chelsea and they're just kind of like trying to to cheekily finagle their way around this ffp and and every club's doing similar stuff and most of these clubs are stupid rich right they have the money to do it i think the the rule is a good rule in theory um in practice it's a little bit tough to enforce uh, especially when all these owners of clubs have so much going on internationally like we talked about kind of the paper trail with what happened with man city i mean they have like all these connections and links to other businesses other clubs other governments even it just gets really messy really quick so i think it's a fair point from him i don't really like the way that the man city supporters reacted that i mean they have banners everywhere like with the middle finger going up and like guys you did break the rules and like it's not that cool to spend hundreds of millions of pounds every window to bring it. Like I, I get that they're winning all these titles, but it's no secret. Like they're getting all the best players. Right. So it's not like it's overly impressive how they've built this team, but I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion on it either way. I do think that city should get some sort of punishment. I wouldn't even, I think a points deduction would be really interesting. So like from a, just a neutral perspective, I, I would be curious to see mm-hmm. what would happen there, but I don't really think it's going to. Yeah, I don't think that's a good take. Like maybe it even sort of even even sinks out. And I think it's all short term. I think you know, uh, City are going to be a force in the Premier League for the next, 
you know, 30 years, right? Like barring any sort of crazy ownership change or someone coming in or maybe Sheik dies and his son is some, you know, batshit crazy person and, and take sinks the club. I don't know. Um, but it, it does pose, you know, something we've talked a lot about is, is the aggressive investment into the Premier League. And so, you know, that's starting to happen. There's There's been rumors now of... Um, you know, a takeover bid um, in in the region of four billion dollars for Spurs. There's a lot of really rich people who are linked to to taking a majority share ownership of Manchester United for several billion. So it, there's a lot of money, a lot of sharks kind of swimming around the Premier League. And quite frankly, like it's because the Premier League officially, and if you look at money coming in and money coming out of the Premier League officially on the back end of COVID. Um, now that we're, you know, in 2023, um, is head and shoulders again, uh, above any other domestic league in Europe, right? Like the years, uh, the years of, you know, uh, Spain, uh, of, of Barcelona and, and PSG and, and Real Madrid, um, sort of, you know, being able to sign Michael Lowen and David Beckham and the Galacticos like, and, and pluck players from the Premier League are gone. And so, I, I just it, it definitely is going to be interesting to see if that just persists if the Premier League and there's a whole nother kind of sub discussion you know you just can go off into right like what does the Premier League do with such dominance does it strengthen the the the, the domestic pyramid does it start to have teams abroad like get absorbed into the Premier League um, you know what happens down the line but um, but yeah, very sort of like interesting final financial discussion on the back of that city point, right? With of all that, I mean, the money never, coming into the league, like it's never been hotter. It's never been I better. I don't think they should right. necessarily change anything. Like what they're doing is working, and there's a reason why all these rich people from around the world want to buy clubs. The interesting thing with Spurs is like Daniel Levy has said this club is not for sale. This guy John Najafi, I think he's just trying to buy any club, but he's kind of zeroed in on Spurs right now, and he said he's going to make a bid, but like I don't think that. Spurs is really interested in selling their um, their owner Joe Lewis, Chairman Daniel Levy. Like they've basically said, the club is not for sale. I mean, everything is for sale for the right price, I imagine. But I, I think everybody wants to get in on the Premier League right now, and that that's good, right? Like it's good to have that money coming in. It's good to have that attention, and they do have a, a stronghold over Europe because you're right. I mean, the, the only thing they don't have is Champions League dominance at this point. The best club in England over the last five years hasn't won the Champions League. We saw Chelsea win it. Yeah, but but they're 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 very competitive in that league, obviously. And you can make points that it's tougher to win the Champions League as an English club because you're week in and week out playing better clubs, playing better opponents. So you have to um, commit players to those matches as well. But that's the one thing you know. It's not like oh, wow, which team from England is going to win the Champions League this year? You know, Real Madrid's still a factor. Bayern's still a factor. PSG wants to be a factor. But there, <laughs> there are other clubs in there that are very competitive, but those are the only clubs in those leagues, right? Like Bayern yeah. is the only club in the Bundesliga that's relevant. PSG is the only club in France that's relevant. Outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico, there's like nobody, like, you know what I mean? There's not any any pulls to those leagues other than the Giants, and so yeah. the Premier League just is in a unique position where they have, and they, they've kind of always had this, but even more so now than ever, they have such great depth from top to bottom. It just makes the league way more competitive and interesting um, from a neutral perspective. Like I'll, I'll watch any match and 
uh, and be excited for it. Yeah, I mean, and even if you watch games in the championship, right? You watch top end of the championship table. People are really excited um, for Burnley to come up with Vincent Company as a the manager they next are season. Dominant, so, right, now. right? They look so good. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I. You pose a great point around European dominance. We haven't seen that from the Premier League. I think people really might start moving in their seat a little bit um, and getting a little. Uh, you know, Super League or dispersal happy if, you know, let's say this year City win. And then let's say between now and 2020, five or six English teams win the Champions League, um, which, you know, kind of seems like it's on the cards, right? Like Aston Villa spent more money in the January transfer window than the entire La Liga combined. And they right. didn't even so, really buy anybody uh, that big. Yeah, right. They bought a, a 19-year-old Colombian from the NLS and, and a 29-year-old left from back. Spain. Yeah, like it, it wasn't really like a super splashy window. So it, 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 I, I agree with you. I think if you're the Premier League, you keep doing what, you do, what you're doing. If the allure of the Champions League starts to wane because English teams get really dominant in it or say like, you know, English teams win – five year you know like i said five until 2020 or something then i think you'll see some much more hasty chatter around you know do some of those is there a cross you know like do some of these teams get absorbed into the premier league how does that work well and and Um, you mentioned super league so there was another proposal rumors coming out again about a week ago um with a new look super league that would be um, open, right? Not like having to guarantee places like they mentioned before. And it could be up to 80 teams now with multiple divisions. And they're just going to keep changing the, the formula until they find something that sticks, I think, with this. Because the, the people that are trying to push for this are, you know, the guys at these big clubs that aren't in England um, that are really like, hey, we need to get a bigger piece of the pie financially. The Premier League's making so much money. But they're just kind of be like, hey, you guys like this idea? What about this? Until something sticks. I almost feel like there's a little bit of an inevitability that they are going to do something like this. Um, But I don't think we're in danger of seeing it within the next season. Yeah. I mean, maybe 30 30 years from now, right? Like, I agree. Like, maybe. That's not what I was talking about. I'm not not thinking 30 years down the road. I was thinking in the next couple of years, I could see something happening. Yeah. some type of restructure uh, see, the Champions would... League or or some type of new Super League. I could see it happening. I, I hope it doesn't. I like where things are at. And obviously, we focus in the Premier League. Any other European competition like that will probably dilute the product of the Premier League to an extent. And I don't want that. So it's not something I'm supportive of at all. But when the money talks, it's all about money. And if everyone thinks they can make more money from this, then people are going to be on board. Right. It just, it may be, you know, and I'm, 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 going off into this like other idea here but maybe you know 20 30 years from now because these multi-club um ownership structures are very popular right so um like manchester city for example have partnerships there's uh new york's nycfc right so and then they have um other affiliate companies i don't know enough about manchester city um like aston villa the owner uh, nassif suarez just bought Vitoria, who's the fifth club in Portugal, right? Like if you go to some sort of European league with multiple divisions, like maybe, you know, your owner, your feeder team becomes the other team that your owner has, right? And these kind of cross um, multi-club ownership groups are becoming more and more popular. So maybe 20, 30 years from now, like there's a lot of them. And then you can, 
kind of form all one division, right? Where every owner who has multiple clubs puts their A team in the top division, their B team in the second, the B teams play in Portugal, you know, Italy, Spain, and the A teams all play in England. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, you never know what could happen, but you're right. There are, and then that's what we're talking about. These really wealthy people are all like, hey, I need to get a club. And when they get a club, they're like, hey, I need to get a second club now. It just keeps going and they have enough money to do it. So it's interesting. It's probably a benefit for the clubs that have it. You know, we... We think about a team like Villa having ownership in Portugal. Portugal is rich with talent, right? So um, you can easily see them loaning some of their younger players to that Portuguese team. You can see them buying and, and probably having a bigger scouting presence in Portugal. And it just grows and grows. So it, it's probably only a benefit to the, the clubs that are able to do that. But yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen over the next 20, 30 years. I don't, I don't think we're the people to speculate too much on that at this point, but either, yeah. either and way, I, I, there's I, a I, lot of rumblings. There's a lot of takeover rumors. There's a lot of super league rumors and it's all just people trying to figure out how can we get more and more money out of this right now? Because um, obviously this sport is so popular worldwide, but in the U S it's really taking off. We're seeing a lot more American owners trying to buy clubs. And so I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I I'll give Jamie Carragher some love because I know he you know so, so desperately needs it from me. Um, <laughs> but him him and Gary Neville um, are you know on Sky together and they do the Monday Night Football show and I think they're really good how they sort of riff into each other and they both become really sort of as a result like pretty prominent political and social figures in the UK. And I think Jamie Carragher had a really good point that he made around um, you know uh, Spanish football journalists and Spanish fans of football like Barcelona Real Madrid trying to say you know trying to make the argument basically flip it on its head from what it's been historically saying um well the Premier League should dish out some of the TV rights to other leagues to improve to because that's what they did for their own Premier League to like strengthen the quality of football throughout Europe um because you know it's a global game they're all benefiting from you know uh promoting the game and etc cetera, etc cetera. um sort of like spreading the wealth that same idea as the super league right Spread, spreading the wealth amongst all the teams involved um and jamie carragher really hit back and said well you know for in like you know the early 2000s when real madrid could go and buy kaka zidane beckham owen every good player right that the every world class very famous player Ronaldo, right? Like Barcelona had Ronaldinho, R- R- Barcelona had Xavi, Iniesta, Neymar, Messi, Suarez, like all the, these teams had were able to go and take hand pick the best players from England um previously in throughout history from the the 40s, 50s, 60s onwards up until basically, you know, the up until 5 years before COVID. Right. Up yeah. until like 2015, 2000, 2015. Because then you think about like Suarez leaving, that was probably one of the last huge players to go to one of those clubs. Yeah. And Bale and, and, yeah. and Bale, Bale leaving too. Spurs. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, I, I think, and he made the point just that, you know, that was what's happened for, that's what happened forever. And English clubs weren't crying out looking for, you know, a share of Real Madrid's revenues. Right. Um, um, throughout that time. So it's definitely just a, a power dynamic shift and you're seeing, you know, giants fall right in, in with the Barcelona and Real Madrid, et cetera. And I don't know, I guess it's a harsh take, but I guess I just don't have a lot of sympathy for that. And I think Jamie Carragher made that point really well. So much love, Jamie. Uh, well done. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this, this form table from the, uh, since the world cup. So, most clubs have played six matches since then. There's a handful that have played seven. And it's not, like, shocking when you look at it. It, it kind of makes sense where these clubs are at. 
Um, but top of the form table since the World Cup, Manchester United, with an extra game played, 16 points from seven matches. Um, and then the other big players, Man City and Arsenal are in fourth and fifth, respectfully. Actually, they're tied, um, respectively, not respectfully. Um, City with one extra game, 13 points. Above both those teams are Brentford and Brighton. That's pretty noteworthy, I would say. Brentford was 14 points in six games played since the World Cup with a plus nine goal differential. I'm not sure if we're talking about yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think we are. I'm just going to say that. I don't think we are. Like The meme with, with Brentford is, um, oh yeah, like they're a good defensive unit and then they have Ivan Tony up top. Right. And then, oh yeah. And like Christian Eriksen came in the back half last season, kind of saved their season. They're just straight up good. They're straight up good. And they're not doing it with crazy investment in, into, in, into any position really. Right. So I think when I look at, I like just acknowledge that like claps, if you're a bees fan, Gage Mankowski, love it. Um, they, if you yeah, they, go ahead, finish your thought. I have one more thing to say about them. Finish your thought. I was just gonna say it's for me. It's so interesting to think: Are they what happens at the end of the season? Because they're at they're we I've talked about this a zillion times. Uh, you know, we've talked about this a zillion times on the podcast. But they're in that spot now where they're knocking on seventh, eighth, ninth, right? Like, how do you get in there and play with the big boys? And do I think that they can play practical Brentford five at the back? Um, you know, strong defensively, be good at home football and and win the league? No, right? So if you're going to compete with the Uniteds, the, the Arsenals, the Cities, et cetera, there's another step that they need to take. And so what do they do this summer, right? Like, do they, you know, does Ivan Tony get poached by one of the big clubs, right? Like, he's got to be in high demand. Or do they put their foot down and like invest really heavily, which they haven't done to this point. Like Brentford's not in that high bidders market and they've never been that. So like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm just curious to see how long they ride out this strategy, which has been very good and doing very good things for them. And they're very good. But like, can they do that forever? So I, I don't know. I have two points on that. First one is there's only two teams in the Premier League that have less losses this season than Brentford. Uh, Manchester City has four losses and Brentford has four losses this season, which is crazy impressive. Um, but on another note, we're talking about, yeah, wh- what's the next step for Brentford? And we think about what's happened the last five years, right? We've had Leicester make a big push and they were a top eight, top six club consistent- consistently for like two, three seasons. And now they're maybe going to get relegated. We saw Wolves jump up into that group. We saw Blades yeah. jump up into that group, right? Um, there's a lot of clubs that have been in a similar spot to the Brentfords, Fulham's, Brighton's right now, and that that just outside the top four range that have had like a year or two of doing that and then haven't been able to sustain it. Whether that's losing their top players, whether that's striking out on some bigger signings, I don't know necessarily. It's a little bit case by case, but we haven't really seen a club outside of those big six clubs sustain success for more than a couple of seasons at a time and really cement themselves as a top six club. Um, We might be seeing that now. I think Brighton is a really good candidate for that as well as Brentford. Um, But that's the next step for one of these clubs. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Brentford, you're right. Brentford, they play great football. They're well-managed. They have a good squad, but they are not good enough right now to be pushing for top four. 
You know, I, I don't think they can sustain right. this without making big steps forward. So do they have the the infrastructure and finances to do that? I don't know yet. We'll see. But it's it's hugely impressive what they've done this season. Thomas Frank deserves a lot of praise. Um, and they've, they've been fun to watch, you know, despite being a little bit more of a defensive team. They got 10 draws this season. They're pretty entertaining. Right. And it's it's such a, such a funny spot because teams who are in that 5th, 6th, 7th, you know, they if they do that for a couple seasons, then they sort of get a little antsy, like, ooh, we want to go for it. And then they either spend big or they do something a little bit sort of out of out of their their stra- traditional strategy. And then that re- that reach creates disharmony and wrong personnel and bad contracts and then panic spending and they also they then, you know, they enter into sacking, markets for you know. Yeah, all yeah, all that stuff. So like, you know, I think about Everton when they had David Moyes originally was very much in that spot. Aston Villa with Martin O'Neill in like the early 2000s. Um West West Ham ironically enough with David Moyes again uh, were in that spot, you know, last season and playing really good football. So it yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with with Brentford and Brighton, but I kind of just have to keep saying like, yeah, they're going to keep winning, you know, two out of three games, right? Um which is basically what they do, and they're really difficult to beat, and um, and they keep signing players from anywhere, you know, from one to twelve million pounds from places like Japan and Argentina, and you know, no name guys. They play for some of their feeder clubs, like Brighton has a, a team in Belgium who Matoma played for for I think like eleven months before coming over to to Brighton and and he was able to get acclimated to Brighton's tactical system. So you know these are clubs using those multi multi club approaches. I know Brentford has a big uh, big presence in Denmark as well. A lot of Danish players in that team. Yeah. Dallas Frank included the manager. So yeah, like is that the new model that what those guys are what those teams are doing and. I mean, crazy, crazy impressive seasons. If you're a fan of either one of those two teams, five years ago you're in the championship. I mean, you've got to be. They're basically doing what I wish Aston Villa or Crystal Palace could do. Yeah, so they, it's, what, it's what all these other clubs are striving for right now. So they're good examples of um, a model that could work, um, and we'll we'll see if they can sustain it. It'll be interesting to watch both those clubs for the rest of the season, and and both of them in, and Fulham included are really pushing for Europe. So. Um, it seems like at least one of those clubs is likely to, to finish top six. Are there any other clubs that we haven't mentioned in this form table that really stuck out to you that you want to talk about? Yeah, so just jumping down to the bottom of the table, two quick things to highlight. One, um, the teams at the bottom of the form table since the World Cup. So Bournemouth um, have one point since the World Cup. Eek. Um, they did just you know finish... What I think is some decent investment in January, um, but they're, I don't know. I don't think they have what it takes in that team to stay up. Um, Southampton, three points since the World Cup. I think safe to say they're managerless, rudderless, and they're going to go down. I think everyone anticipates that. Um, they're signing Rudy Justed-like signings up top, just tall guys. Um, and then Leeds, also on three points since the World Cup, but only a minus four goal differential. So that, that's actually the bottom. Th- that's actually the bottom three on the form table. And you know what? Actually, I realize now that this this table we're looking at is from the sixth, so it doesn't include Bournemouth getting a point against Newcastle. So they'd be at two, probably a couple other matches okay. missed out there. But regardless, it's still kind of it doesn't really change the trend of the narrative. Um, just right. one match not counted in this table. Could have updated that, but I uh, didn't realize. And and then in the middle of the table, you have Chelsea or Liverpool. So we we did earlier. Um, who do you think is going to win the title? Who do you think finishes higher come the end of the season, Chris? 
Chelsea or Liverpool? Well, if you look at the table right now, um, they're they're pretty neck and neck. Um, but at the moment, we have Liverpool uh, with a one-point advantage and a game in hand. I think it's going to be Liverpool, and the main reason why is they're starting to get healthy again. We had uh, Roberto Firmino, Diogo Jota, and Virgil van Dijk all in the squad for the first time in a long time this past weekend, or on Monday against Everton. Those are some key players for them. We got Cody Gakpo scoring his first goal for the club. They are maybe starting to solidify their midfield. Bacetich keeps playing. He's just looking pretty good. Chelsea just have so many new players on this squad that it's going to take a little while to integrate them, to build chemistry, I think. They don't really know who their best 11 is. If Liverpool are healthy, I, I think they're going to finish ahead of them. I don't think either of these clubs are going to get near the top four. I think they could flirt with top six. But I would put my money on Liverpool right now. Okay, so you think Liverpool... I, I actually... I'm the opposite here. So I think Chelsea finish above... Liverpool um I just think I like Graham Potter more than I like Jurgen Klopp so I'm sort of blind blinded by that um I think there's a little bit they're they're both under pressure but uh, Potter has I don't know like uh maybe a little bit more urgency to drive some short-term results I think even if Liverpool finish you know eighth like um Klopp keeps his job and it's totally fine so um, and just, you know, they'll, he'll do the whole thing where he'll blame the season on injuries. Yeah. Or the length of the grass or something. Um, right. I think if Chelsea do make a push and finish ahead of them, their the key player will be Jao Felix. They've scored 23 goals in 22 matches and yeah, they can't score. Kai Havertz just isn't it as a, as a number nine. He's not, I don't think he's a bad player. I don't want to like rip on Kai. I think he's been playing out of position. But they need to find goals somewhere. Joe Felix has got to be a big player for them. They spent a lot of money to bring him in on loan. Um, obviously, the suspension yeah. hurt. But then they got these other guys. Right? They've got Mudrick. They've got Maduke. They've signed these other attackers. Enzo um, to shore up the midfield. But it's, it's ultimately kind of come down to goals. And I think Felix is going to be the guy that has to step up if they're going to really start to spring on the last you know, third or half of the season here. Yeah, I just I just had a thought. Like, imagine if City didn't sign Holland in the summer, and Todd Bowley was looking at this Chelsea team, having just become owner this season, and they needed goals. Like, Holland would have been in the team in January for sure. Mm. If Holland was like still at Dortmund, never went to City, he wouldn't be a Chelsea player for sure. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I can't really disagree with you there. Todd would have been all over that one. So, right, good old Todd. <laughs> uh, all right, I, I kind of like I kind of like this game though. Like another another quick question for you: Who finishes ahead um, at the end of the season? Is it Wolves or Leicester? Or uh, sorry, West Ham or Leicester? Um. Leicester have a four-point edge right now. They're coming off back-to-back wins um, where they scored four goals in each of them. They're, they're starting to score. Madison's back healthy. Ian Nacho's getting some goals. I'm going to go Leicester. I don't okay. really like where either of them are at, but I'm going to go Leicester. Okay. And then quickly, I know we touched on this last week on the pod. Who are the three three teams you think go down? Uh, it's Bournemouth and Southampton for sure. Uh, I mean, I think Bournemouth are more dead than Southampton right now. Bournemouth just are not cut out for it. If Southampton brings in a manager that gives them a little bit of juice, they've been linked with Jesse Marsh, 
Uh, they have a, they have more talent on that squad than Bournemouth do. But either way, I think both of them are down, and I'm going to stick with what I said. I'm uh, uh, I'm really I said Leeds last week. I think that was a little bit reactionary with the Jesse Marsh sacking. I'm going to say the bottom three right now go down. I'm going to say Everton go down. Oh, that would be insane. I, I think Dyche keeps him up. I think Leeds, Bournemouth, Southampton go down. And Ellen Road is, I mean, someone might kamikaze bomb Ellen Road. Like that would be mental. But yeah, that's what I think happens. I think they, they go down, reload, and they'll probably come back up again. I mean, I think we agree that it's Bournemouth and Southampton and one of like four or five clubs. But I think Everton is yeah. the most likely out of Forest, we would. I mean, a month ago, we probably would have said them. And if we look at this form table again prior to this past weekend, they're in seven, 11 points from six matches coming out of the World Cup. Really impressive. They've they've finally kind of figured it out. I don't see them going down. Yeah, which is just hilarious because they're on a minus 20 goal differential. So yeah, they've the had only some two rough teams. Ones. Yeah, the only two teams with worth goal differential are Southampton and Bournemouth. So, yeah. Um, Let's do trivia. All right. Well, Chris. Yeah, well, before we go to trivia, oh, we got to yeah. do a drive-by Fantasy right, Corner, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Um, so Fantasy Corner, Fantasy right now is a bit of a crazy time. So for those who play on the FPL app, by the way, if you don't and you play, well, okay, let me say this the right way. That's if you play good. Fantasy Premier League, if you play Fantasy Premier League, message me or Chris on Twitter. We've got leagues, like um, overall point leagues, you can just enroll in um, that are run by... Um, my sister actually shout out Martha um, the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League and we've got actually a two division uh, 40 team league with the championship in the Premier League and relegation and promotion between them and then additionally um, which you know uh, you can get into over time and then additionally we have just a uh, a long sort of overall points league it's just the Ridge the, the Ridgeway League um, that my sister emails out and gets people in you can keep track of um, and we'll pull people who aren't in the two divisions to like enter new year as some people drop out or don't want to play anymore, et cetera. So it, it is um, if you play FPL, it is exclusive. I yeah. Say that. And I don't want to do my own horn too much, but I am unbeaten since the world cup. So just saying. Right. So I'm, yeah, I'm out here talking about fancy corner. Chris is unbeaten and head to head since the world cup. Um, I drew this week, but anyway, fantasy corner um right now is an interesting time in fpl um if you play you'll know that um game week 25 so this upcoming week is game week 24 game week 25 has a couple blanks so brentford brighton manchester united newcastle all blank in 25 a lot of people have assets like kieran trippier marcus rashford um luke shaw etc etc bruno whomever right a lot of people have Matoma, Solly Marsh, um, and a lot of people have multiple Newcastle defenders, Fabian Schar, Dan Byrne, whatever. So, uh, and then you might have Ivan Tony as well. So you got to be wary of that blank in 25, just FYI. And so you're probably using a transfer this week to set up for that, right? So have next week in, in mind as well. Then things are going to get really interesting because in game week 27, two of those teams that we just mentioned, Brentford of Brighton, uh, double again, and Crystal Palace also double officially, but that might get called off. Um, so TBD on that one, but officially as right now they do. So Brentford and Brighton double um, in 27, and then are probably going to blank again in 28 um, because of uh, cup games. So it's a long way of me saying, if you've got a wild card, if you've got a free hit chip, you need to know that between game week 25 and game week 28, you need to be factoring in that there's going to be two blank game weeks for those uh, in the in that period. Um, and so just be 
conscious, especially in 28, if you're like, oh my God, Brentford or Brighton play twice and you get a bunch of those players, they're probably blank in 28. So um, yeah, that my advice is like have three of them if you can, but then hold them so you can still field a full team. So like I'm going to hold on to uh, Rashford from United, Matoma, and then probably Kieran Trippier um, or Luke Shaw. I might move off of one of those, but I'm going to get get rid of one of those key assets. So I only have three guys on my bench who blank. Got a lot of forward thinking. I think I had the, the yes. next, next yeah. five weeks. Right. If you don't play fantasy and you just listen to that, um, yeah, it is that strategic and it's pretty sick and it's way better than fantasy football on like, you know, ESPN app. So get on board if you're not already. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun, especially when you're winning and unbeaten since the World Cup. If you are, that's it's especially fun. then. It's definitely fun. Then it's tight. Yeah, then it's tight. Really tight. All right. Uh, let's do trivia now. So I hope this isn't a dud. I'm kind of swerving a little bit from what we've done uh, the past five episodes or so. We've done a, we do a lot of like stat heavy trivia with based off of Premier League players and, and things like that, whether it's in form or across the season, ha- whatever you have. Um, this one I'm going to give you 60 seconds, Jack, and I, I really think you can get all eight names I'm looking for. Um, okay. It's not very hard. You just have to think. And and if you paid attention this season, all of them are gettable, but it's just whether or not like one or the one or two of these guys kind of slipped your mind. So I'm gonna give you 60 seconds, and it's kind of on brand for what we talked about last week. So I want you to name all eight Premier League managers that have been sacked so far this season. Eight managers sacked so far in 2023. 60 seconds. Timer starts now. Ralph Hasenhutl and Nathan Jones. Yeah. Southampton. Um, yep. Uh, Scott Parker. Yep. First one's um, um, Frank Lampard. Yep. Jesse Marsh. Yep. Um, oh, I don't remember the coach from Wolves. Um, I'll come back to him in a second. Um, yep. Hi. Who is the coach from Chelsea? And uh, well, Potter didn't get sacked, did he? But he la- he was at Brighton. He does not he counts. Count. He does not. Um. Okay. Um. Wow. This. Really easy. Steven Gerrard. Yep. Um. And I don't remember the guy from Wolves, and that is gonna piss Three, me off two um, one time six out of eight i mean this one's a tough one because whenever you put the spot in trivia it's got to be like if you're a listener listening to this on your way to work or something you're probably screaming at ridge right now but when i just keep reminding him how little time he has left and you keep thinking about <laughs> all these people that are listening they're like oh my god this guy has no idea what he's talking about you just get in your head and start to panic the hands get sweaty so you got six I don't even them. remember that Wolves manager's name. What's his? The Portuguese guy. It's yeah. uh Yeah, you got really hung um, up on that. Do you want me to give it to you? It's the guy before Julian Lopetegui. Yeah, what's his name? Bruno Lage. Bruno Lage. Like that dude was a nobody he just came out of Portugal. Man, like no wonder I don't remember we him. We might never hear about what him. A shitty appoint- yeah, what a shitty appointment. The other um, one's pretty inexcusable. The other one's pretty inexcusable? Yeah. You were on it for a second, um, and then you moved on to this Bruno Lodge fixation, and you couldn't get off of it. He was the second manager um, sacked this season, sacked on September 7th. 
you basically yeah, it's already the original Chelsea about. Ma- yeah, it's the, the original yeah. Chelsea manager who, yeah. who was the manager at the beginning of the season. It was Tuchel. Yeah, yeah, it's not as Tuchel. Yeah. So pretty good. I love how you went immediately for Southampton. That was nice and easy. So Ralph Hausenhuttle yeah. got sacked on November sixth, and then they already sacked Nathan Jones. So, well, yikes. Nathan Jones, we talked about it. We talked about it last week. If you didn't listen to the episode last week, he was such a good appointment. I think that was. I don't know how that didn't work out. You know. <laughs> Honestly, on paper, it kind of made sense for a bit until you heard him talk, uh, and then you're like, "Okay, this, an, this guy's an idiot." An absolute, like the worst. Like I don't even. Nathan Jones sucks, but like, what an awful appointment! Like Southampton fans, you got to be. That's they not had Nathan something Jones with Ralph was, too. Awful. I feel like they had something with Ralph. That's the thing. You they you, had a little a little continuity, like, and you know, he's probably sitting in a villa in like Monaco right now. And he's like, ha, 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 I told those fuckers the squad sucked. They weren't good. You know, the team wasn't good enough. And uh, and they brought in a manager and he did significantly worse than I did. Yeah. Right? He's probably saying I, to- I, told a- I told him so. Yeah, on holiday with Cliff Kingsbury down in Thailand, just sitting on his mm. money. But uh, not bad. Six out of eight is not bad. I thought you could get all eight. I didn't realize, I didn't know how tough it would be. I- That's why I gave you the 60 seconds because I felt like if I gave you 90, it would just be, I mean, you got five of them in like 20 seconds. So I was like, well, okay, well, you do this, this every, you, you, you do this every time you give trivia, you're, you always give this hint. You're like, yeah, you just have to think <laughs> and like you, that's how you always preface trivia. It's like, what the fuck do you okay, think well, I'm in doing? This case, in this case, I think it kind of holds true because you knew all those guys. It, it wasn't like, oh no, man, I did. who, who has the most expected assists huh? I mean, for 90 I, or like it, you give me the yeah. ones like who played every minute this season. Like those are really tough. This one was just like, you know, all these guys that got sacked. This is whether or not you can rack your brain quick enough to pull all those names. Bruno Lodge. Bruno Lodge. I, what is he doing? Can we get a quick Google check? Yeah. Like, where, yeah. Where, where, is he even yeah job we, can. we sure can. Like, what is, what is he doing? Um, is he have a job? He was most recently. I suspect not. Of Wolverhampton Wanderers. So looks like he's kind of so unemployed. No. Yeah. That one doesn't Maybe work out. he's at the same villa. Yeah. yeah. I so I I think if I would have picked him up quickly, if I would have already gotten that one quickly, I would have moved to Chelsea to know that I you know, I, know. I think you, I was I think on Chelsea got got Zubo, but you just already knew you weren't going to be able to get the, the Bruno Lodge one so you kind of gave up. But yeah. not bad, not bad. All right, let's do some predictor. All righty, let's do it. Uh, what games we got? Um first game, we've got Nottingham Forest against Manchester City. But you know, we're fresh off saying City's going to win the title. And we've also fresh off saying Nottingham Forest goal differential is awful. And this last fixture, I think it was a 4-0 drubbing by City. Um, and this one's at the Etihad, right? Last time it was at Forest. No, no, no. This is, this is at the City Ground. Oh, okay, okay. Forest at home. Um, I'll, I'll check what happened last time. But go ahead. What do you think of this one? Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's going to get ugly. 3-0 three, three City. I don't know about ugly, but but City like they feel like they're back, right? Um, I just don't know how how solid they are defensively, but they're gonna get goals. I'm gonna go three one, a uh, repeat uh, from what they did midweek. And actually, it was a six nil drubbing at the Etihad when they last met. Mm, but Forest were Forest are a different side now than they were then, so I don't want to put too much stock into that. But I'm gonna go three one City. Next, we got Brighton. Yeah, at and, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and Forest are at home and. City do have the Champions League coming up, so be and wary of some rotation. Little, yeah, they just played their right. Flash, rotate. Yeah, 
yeah. Okay. Um, next is Brighton at home against Fulham. This is a low-key awesome matchup. Two clubs yeah, that play awesome. really good football that are right neck and neck in the table. Yeah, like this is like I feel the opposite emotions for this game than I do when I look at Spurs West Ham. Like that sounds like such a snoozer, and this game just is going to be good. Um, I think Brighton win coming off a tough to swallow draw uh, uh, at uh, away at Crystal Palace last weekend. I think Brighton win. I think there's goals in this game for sure. Brighton win three two. I like that, and you're right, Brighton just trounced Palace over the weekend and somehow came away with one point. It was a, they got, well, Palace got worked in that match. Um, I'm going to go one, one in this one. I I'm done betting against Fulham at this point. I, I believe what they're doing. So I'm going to go one, one. Um, next we have Wolves at home against Bournemouth. This is a big, big match in the relegation battle. Yeah. I think Wolves win two nil at home. If Bournemouth can't get anything out of this one, they're in trouble. But I do think that Lopetegui's got Wolves moving in the right direction. Um, I'm going to go one nil Wolves. They uh, they picked up a scrappy win against Southampton uh, with that red card the other day. I, I yeah. Liked, did, I, did you did you watch that game at all? Did you watch the highlights? Um, I saw highlights, but I didn't get to watch the full ninety. I was, my my eyes were occupied in other matches at the time. <laughs> my eyes were occupied. I I think uh, that was a crazy game because. Southampton went up 1-0, then Wolves had a man sent off, and then they scored and made it 1-1, yeah. and then came back to win 2-1. So but, with a man advantage, then Nathan, Nathan Jones gets sacked, and Nathan Jones said, mm-hmm. I think the red card gave Wolves the advantage. So being a man down yeah. gave him the advantage because they could throw all their players forward. If Nathan Jones had it his way, he would have liked to play against 11 men rather than 10. Um, he just, <laughs> it really threw him for a loop against 10 men. And uh, tactically, uh, but anyway, um, I Wolves. I'm. I tell you what. I'm sneakily starting to feel ways with this Wolves team, like I did when they had a Nuno Espirito Santo. Um, I like Mateus Cunha. I think they have real class in that team. If you actually go f- like front to back in that team, uh, yeah, Ruben Neves just class. Jamatino is is ageless. Um, I think Sarabia from PSG is a very classy player. Obviously, Adama's always electric. Um, in the heart of that defense, Max Kilman's thrown on like 25 pounds of muscle in the last three two seasons. Um, and then they've just brought in, and I think the unsung signing of maybe the January window was them bringing in uh, Craig Dawson from West Ham. And he's immediately slotted in next to Max Kilman and pushed Nathan Collins, the young former Burnley uh, 21-year-old center back, to the bench and that's really sured up a lot of the wolves defense um with bringing sort of that experience to the back line um ironically enough that they originally loaned out uh that they had in connor cody that they loaned out at the beginning of the season yeah so it's a long little i just feel like we haven't talked about wolves in a while and i've just got to have some well, pent up I, that's the thing they don't really them. play a lot of standalone matches and that's why i was saying like my eyes were drawn elsewhere because if and they're playing at 10 a.m. again on Saturday with like five of the matches going on. So I'm not going to watch this one either. Like I, I got multiple screens up, but this isn't going to be one of them. You know, if they don't right. play like the 12:30 match or the 7:30 match very often, they're always lumped in with these other teams. So we haven't seen them as much probably. Um, and I probably won't see them this weekend that much either. Other than so, so yeah, what did you say score wise? I said two 0 I said one 0 Wolves. 
Okay. Uh, next match is Newcastle, Liverpool. You know, probably the other, you know, the other big headliner of the weekend. Are Newcastle legit? Have they fallen off? Are Liverpool going to make a push for the top half? I don't care. Um, I'm going to say this match at, I think it, because it's at Newcastle, Newcastle is so difficult to play um, at their ground. I think it's a 1-0 win for them. So two things on what you said. Newcastle are legit, yes, and they have fallen off. Those are both true. Um, four draws in their last five, and they're not scoring. They're still doing pretty well defensively, but they're not scoring as much. I, I think that Liverpool are going to carry some momentum from that the Everton match, the Merseyside derby. I'm going to go 2-1 pool. I, I just think that wow. New, Newcastle, are they're trending similar to Arsenal, where it's like, hey, uh, maybe they've been figured out a little bit. They just don't have a ton of momentum right now. And I think Liverpool are going to spring on a bit. I, I like Gakpo. I like getting some of these guys back into the squad. And this, this would be a statement win for them on the road if they can get it. All right, fair. Next match, Manchester United versus Leicester. Who do you got? United are a wagon right now. Mark Rashford. Marcus Rashford. We call him Mark in our group chat. Shout out Lockman. But <laughs> they're a wagon right now. Leicester are scoring. I do think there are goals in this game. I'm going to go 3-1 United. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I don't think United concede. I think it's 2 nails, similar to the last one. Okay, and then this is the, the match you mentioned that you are not looking forward to. Spurs v. West Ham. Uh, I think I'm just going to keep it on par with my trip earlier and say nail-nail. Yeah, this is unfortunately the 11.30 on Sunday, so we're going to have to watch it. I don't know how you're predicting nil-nil out of these two teams, though. Spurs just conceded four to Leicester. They're a mess defensively. Harry Kane's definitely bagging a goal against West Ham. I go 2-2. Wow, the opposite pick. Yeah, that's confident. I'm yeah, I'm going hard hard nil-nil. So anyway, those are our, our predictor app picks, as always. Um, you know, we plug the predictor app. Um and uh and you can yeah, do it in free money. We say this every week. So give us a follow on Twitter at Ghost to Show Pod, um, per usual, and um and we'll be back next week, hopefully I, a little bit earlier. I got two, two more things to say. Um, I did my gambling picks again last weekend. I'll do them again this weekend. Do not follow my picks. I'm not winning them. I would bet the opposite. So Follow Scar's picks. Scar257, he'll be tweeting them too. He gets winners. I lose money. The second thing I was going to say, Ted Lasso Season 3, premiering March 15th. I'm definitely planning on doing something around that. So... Keep your eyes peeled. Keep your ears ready to, to listen. We're going to do probably like a mini pod or maybe we'll do a segment or something. But I want to get a little bit into that media front, as we mentioned on that goals segment a couple weeks back. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, it's it'll be like Ted Lasso sponsored by JGTS. If you guys see any ads on Apple TV, we're in talks with the representative there just around sort of like um, some advertisement. I've been texting that. with Jason. Sedacus, and he's probably going to make an appearance in the pod at some point. So we're just we're going to have to figure out I the right time you, for him. I wanted you to not say Sedacus and just keep it at Jason. I thought the, the pause was still it got some of the comedic effect, but we'll we'll see. Right. All right. Well, um, as always, gang, um, appreciate everyone listening, and uh, just goes to show everybody's human. Thanks, guys.